0: somebody else get a little bit of break a little bit of a breather I not mean that next week you guys are gonna be like longing for me again right no all right well Tom agrees um, hey, uh, we do have a special speaker today, my, my friend Brady Cohn, and we are right in the middle of our elephant in the room series. And just like I've been promoting, if you've uh, if you've heard this, is, today's topic is on homosexuality and really just sexuality, because uh, um, that is one of those topics, those hot topics of how do we deal with this stuff. And so, just a couple uh, a couple things. First of all. Um, as he's going to come and share his story and from the word and talk about this from a biblical perspective we're also going to do a QA immediately following the service and so if you have children we have notified all the children's workers and they're willing to stay um, uh, till 12:30 uh, if it lasts that long we're gonna, we're going to do about a 30 to 45 minute. Q&A. And so when he's done and we close out the service, we'll do a quick five-minute transition and have everybody probably come over into one of these sections and we'll uh, we'll do that. So it'll be great. Also, we're going to um, video that Q&A. And, and all of this will be on audio. So if you find this helpful to you, um, either his message or the Q and A, if you find any of it helpful, um, and you wanna you wanna use it as a resource for a friend or family member or for your own study, um, we can make that available to you as well. So, um, my friend Brady, come on up. Um, I don't know when we when we met, but for the last couple of years, we've been. Getting to know each other and talking, and I've been wanting you to come for a long time, and you know, finally, uh, finally happened. You you go to um, the table here in town, and um, uh, or maybe some of you remember that we did a, a, a give, little giving outreach to the table church, um, Pastor Tyler um, earlier on this year. So he goes to that church, and uh, but has his own ministry, and I'll let you explain about yourself. But I am just so honored that you would come make time for us today. God bless you. All right, don't don't mess up. Okay. All right. Good.
1: There we go. I unmuted it, but then turned the power on. So I am so grateful to be here today, and I'm so thankful for any church that's just willing to engage in a conversation on this issue? The issue of homosexuality really is like an elephant in the room. Uh, As a church here that that believes in traditional marriage and that God designed us uh, for a relationship between a man and a woman and he made that good, he made sexuality good, how do we respond in our culture today to, to that truth. And so today's talk, this, this isn't a one and done conversation. This is the beginning of this church opening the conversation and figuring out how do we apply the gospel and God's truth and God's grace to a world around us that, that's so fallen and broken. So I'm excited to just help you guys today start that conversation. My phone number should be up on the screen uh, at any time, and so we're going to do this Q&A. You can actually text me the questions at any time during the service. You can text me the questions uh, for the Q&A later so that they remain completely anonymous. You don't have to raise your hand and ask them. You can text them in at any time, and then we will get to them during the Q&A. So I hope that that's a really productive time, and we can just answer the questions and um, answer the things that are on your hearts. So I'm going to start today with just my testimony, my story of what God's done in my life. The the Bible, God's word is full of stories that God uses to show us his truth and grace. And I hope that my story, I pray that my story today is something that God uses in your life to show you, give you a glimpse of his grace. I'm from Nebraska, I grew up on a farm and growing up on a farm here in Nebraska, from a young age, I always felt like I was different from the rest of the boys. I had an older brother and a, a dad and I always felt like there's something about them that makes them men and boys that is different about me. But I had no idea what that was until years later. In the meantime, I was growing up in the church, uh, growing up, going to church every Sunday, and I heard about Jesus. And I knew from a very young age that I was a sinner and I needed Jesus as my Savior. At the age of 11, my life got pretty messy when my parents went through a divorce, as many of you can probably relate to. And after their divorce, my parents actually got back together 17 times. And so that was 17 times of my dad actually moving back in with us and every time and not working out. And so that was just about three years of just mass instability in my, in my life, my family's life. And as a, like about an 11 to 14 year old, I just had no idea how to process that or how to deal with that. And it was during that time that I figured out what was different about me than most of the boys that I knew. Uh, as puberty hit, that can be a confusing, hard time for anyone. And, During that time, all my friends were starting to kind of notice girls, notice things about them, kind of gain this sexual and relational uh, um, attraction towards them. But I wasn't. But I started to notice guys and other boys in in that same way and develop these attractions towards them. I, I started to be just drawn to them in sexual and emotional ways. And I was so confused by those feelings I was having. Having grown up in rural conservative churches, I heard about homosexuality, I, but it was always preached in a way that made it sound like it was the one unforgivable sin, And so just having those feelings just filled my life with shame and guilt. As time went on, the feelings got stronger, and so did my shame. Uh, my family had given up on Christianity after my parents divorced and really walked away from the church, but I kept going to youth group on Wednesday nights. Because deep down, I really wanted to know the Lord and please the Lord. Well, as time went on, these feelings got stronger. I just felt that I have to tell someone. I have to get some help. I have to uh, figure out how I can deal with these feelings and why I'm having them. So by the time I was 13, I, I decided the turmoil was so bad inside, and, and I decided I just, I'm going to tell someone, so I decided I should tell a youth group leader. My family wasn't going to church anymore, but I was still going to youth group. And so I decided that I'm going to tell a youth group pastor and just see if I can get some answers. But one night at a youth group, as a 13-year-old, before I had the courage to do that, uh, I, I never forget this moment, sitting there uh, with everyone else, and the youth group pastor made the comment. He said, I wish all homosexuals would die. And that comment felt like a knife to my chest. I I remember sitting there and it felt like he was speaking directly to me. I remember thinking that that's me that he's talking about. And I actually went home that night and I loaded a gun and I came very close to taking my life that night. Because I thought if it's God's will for all homosexuals to die, then I guess I will. Obviously, I didn't do it that night. Um, I had the gun loaded, and by God's grace, I heard my mom walk in the door. I heard and put the gun away before before, uh, I did it. And so I didn't take my life that night, but that was just the start of a downward spiral in my life. Um, That was the moment that I started to hate Christians and their God. That was the moment I put up a wall around myself and became determined that, I guess I just can't let anyone inside. I can't let anyone see who I am. I can't let anyone... Uh, know what I'm struggling with. That was the moment I decided that I could never show up to church ever again uh, because of what was going on in my life. It would be years before I'd ever step inside the doors of another church. It was soon after that that I discovered online pornography and I was instantly hooked. And for me, online porn was more than just a sexual addiction like so many guys in our culture today deal with. For me, uh, it felt like the only place where I could belong. It felt like my only community. It felt like the only place I could go where there's people who had the same feelings as me and who understood. And I so uh, longed to just belong and be accepted. And that's the only place where I could find it. Soon after that, my first encounter with another man, and that became a regular part of my life. And every time I was having one of those encounters, I felt like it was everything I ever wanted. But afterwards, I was consumed with shame and guilt. And later on, I started experimenting in relationships, and uh, with every encounter and every relationship, I walked away thinking, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not fulfilling me inside the way it's supposed to fulfill me. It felt like this is not what God designed me for, but I was so desperate for more that I kept pursuing it, and I felt so trapped. And uh, as time went on, I was so desperate to feel loved and feel valued that I was even uh, dealing with prostitution in my life because I thought if I could, if I sell myself, then at least I have value to someone. At least I'm worth something to someone. Well, as time went on going through high school, um, I felt more and more trapped by just this, by this life. And I was so desperate to be loved and, and to feel valued. And I actually found a place where I could have those things. I got more and more involved in the LGBT community and at this time, this was 15 years ago in Nebraska, it was still much more underground than it was today, but I met people who loved me and valued me and I always hate to say this, but it's so true that sometimes the gay community can be much more loving than the Christian community. And so that's where I found a place where I could be loved and accepted. All during this time, I was becoming more and more angry with God. I was having all these, it was like a pendulum of emotions swinging back and forth, where on one side I'd say, all right, I want to love God. I want to serve God. And I don't think that he can love me like this. So I'm just going to walk away from this life. I'm going to pretend like it was never there. I'm going to pretend like I never struggled with this. I'm not going to be gay any longer. And so I completely walk away from it. And that usually lasts on average about 42 to 47 minutes, somewhere in that range. And, and then I'd be right back into it. And, and I would just give up and be so hopeless and say, all right, I guess uh, I just can't do this. I guess I'm just gay. This is the way I am. But then what I'd say to myself is, well, how could a loving God create me in a way that's going to condemn me to hell? Because that's what it felt like. It felt like I'm just created this way. This is who I am. So I just became angry and bitter at God. And the only conclusion I could come to is that that uh, either our God is not a loving God or there there is no God at all. So that's where I was when I went to college, is I was hurting, broken, just didn't think I could ever live any type of life. I was just trying to accept that this is the way I am and I needed to pursue this to be happy. When I arrived at Shatteron State College for my freshman year, instantly I met a group of guys who were Christians who started to just love me and invest in my life. They knew that I was, there was something wrong uh, with my life. They knew I wasn't walking with God, but they pursued me. They loved me, and uh, they just never gave up on, on the pursuit of my life. Uh, They spent two years unconditionally loving me and pursuing me. And through that time, I hadn't really realized how much God was using them to soften my heart. Within my experience, this whole new Christianity I'd never seen before. These guys didn't just show up to church on Sundays and put on a mask and pretend like their life is perfect. But they're actually authentic and real. And they love people unconditionally. And they're open about their sin and struggles. But they weren't just real about their sin, but they actually repented of their sin. And they showed me with their lives that they loved Jesus first and foremost and they were willing to do anything to follow him. And the, they were so open about what was going on that I could see Jesus changing them and changing their lives. The summer after my sophomore year, things came to a breaking point in my life and I said, I just can't do this any longer. And I was, I was considering suicide. I just didn't see any other options. Um, my life was just becoming hopeless uh, and I, I remember thinking that before I uh, commit suicide, before I end it all, I just want to tell one Christian and see, see how it goes. And so I decided I was going to tell this guy, Lex, who was, who was actually working for me that summer. I was running my underground sprinkler business, and Lex was working for me and still really investing in my life. And, uh, and so I wrote him a letter, and I couldn't get the words out of my mouth, so I wrote him the letter and handed him the letter. And I I actually had a gun load in my room, and I said, if Lex rejects me, that's it. I'm just going to go in there in in, in my life. Well, I'm still, I'm standing here today, so obviously he didn't. Instead, he loved me and encouraged me and hugged me and told me that uh, my sin is no better or worse than his, and we're in this together, and we're going to fight it together. And I remember just being blown away by that and thinking that that can't can't be Lex who loves me, that has to be the Jesus I see in him who loves me. And so three days later, I, was, I, I dwelled on that experience for about three days and just couldn't get that out of my mind how much he loved me. And for the first time, I became convinced that the Jesus I see in my friends is the same Jesus who also loves me. And so the first time I became convinced that, that God's grace was sufficient for my life. And so it was June twenty-first, two 2006, I was covered in snot and tears and had just this crying on the ground, come to the cross at Jesus moment where I surrendered everything to him. See, I'd, I'd always called myself a Christian. I, I grew up uh, somewhat in the church. Um, I'd prayed over and over again in my life. I'd spend hours praying, sometimes all night praying for God to take the struggle away, and he never did. And, uh, but what I'd realized in this moment of surrender is that My faith was not faith in the cross. It was my demands on God. It was me saying, all right, God, I want to follow you, but I want to instantly be attracted to women. I want to have a wife, a house, this whole American dream. My faith was nothing more than my demands on God. But finally, I came to a place of surrender where I said, all right, God, I don't care what it takes. I don't care who I have to tell. I don't care what people think of me. I, I don't care what I have to do. I trust that your grace is enough for my life, and I want to follow you. And so there I was, uh, surrendering my life through Christ, and my life instantly started to change. I told some more Christians about the life I was living, and, uh, and they, they loved me and encouraged me and started to speak truth into my life and scripture into my life. And one of the things I wrestled with was. The remainder of that summer is like, well, wow, like, God loves me so unconditionally, so can't I still continue to live this life? Can't I still be gay and, like, you know, if God's grace is sufficient? But, but God was con- convicting me that if, if, if I was going to trust in him as my Savior, every day I need to make him the Lord of my life. And he was showing me the idolatry behind my struggles, my sin. He was taking me to places like Romans 1 in the Bible where it talks about homosexuality and says they traded God's truth for a lie. And the Holy Spirit started to illuminate so many areas of my life from my entire life going back to a small child where I had been trading God's truths uh, for lies. And one of the things that changed my life that, that summer when I felt hopeless. I felt like, well, if that's God's standard, how could I, I, I've tried my entire life to change and I can't. But there's a passage that changed my life that summer that I'd like to read from you. It comes from First Corinthians, uh, verses, uh, f- starting with verses 9 and 10. And it seems like these two verses I'd heard over and over again um in in my life it says do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers nor male prostitutes nor those who practice homosexuality nor the thieves nor the greedy nor the drunkards nor slanders nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of god and it seemed like i'd heard those two verses over and over but i'd always heard them as really uh coming from a place of judgment, used as a weapon to tear people down, to to say, see, this sin uh, is worse than all their sins. But really, if you read that list, that list of sins really covers all of us. But I heard it as a place of judgment, as a weapon to, to tear people down. But my life changed that summer when someone read me the very next verse, verse 11. It says, that's what some of you were, but you're washed, you're cleansed, you're justified by Jesus Christ and the, by the Spirit of our God. And that just blew my mind. That says that's what some of you were, that, that 2,000 years ago, you see people, this is not a new issue. 2,000 years ago, there were people who were homosexuals and they were being washed by the blood of Christ. And Christ was changing them then. And that showed me that if, if the blood of Christ can change people 2,000 years ago, it can still do that in my life today. And so for the first time in my life, I had guys in my life who instead of just using the bible as a weapon to fight me fight against me and tear me down they're using the bible as a weapon to fight for me they're daily encouraging me and loving me and using the scripture in my life to help me fight my sin in this internal battle so by the end of the summer my life was completely changed and completely different by the end of the summer i completely walked away from all things homosexual, from sexual encounters, from uh, pornography. Uh, That that was an ongoing issue for a while. But I walked away from the LGBT community. Uh, God was just changing every part of my life. And, you know, I wish that I could stand up here and say that it's because God just flipped the switch and took the struggle away and it was there no more. But he didn't do that. And it wasn't for me trying harder because I already tried as hard as I possibly could and it didn't work. But there's really four things that I can identify that God really taught me that summer that helped me walk away from that life. And I'd like to share those four things with you. He gave me a new identity. God showed me that I'm not defined by my feelings, by my attractions, by my struggles. I'm not defined by the labels that society gives me. I'm defined by him and him only. I'm defined by the fact that I am his child. That no matter what labels society or people in the church uh, give to me, like those don't define me. I'm defined by him and him alone. And so I don't have to call myself gay. I don't have to identify as that. Uh, But I am defined by Christ and only by Christ. Second, he gave me value. He showed me that I don't have to sell myself to another man. I don't have to be loved by another man to have value, that I have value just because I am his and his alone, and that value is enough to drive my life. I don't need anything from anyone else. Third, he gave me power. He showed me that now that I know him. I have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me. Now I can choose every day to live a life that's honoring to God and glorifying to him to where I can deny myself of the things that feel like they become natural to me because I now have the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. And for the first time that power uh, was dwelling inside of me and I could use that on a daily basis to deny myself. Fourthly, is he gave me an eternal perspective. Here's what I mean by that. Um, We we live in a society today that that says that denying yourself of your sexual desires and relational desires is not only unpractical, but it's inhumane. It's inhumane to expect anyone to deny themselves of the things that they desire. But uh, Jesus takes me all the time to this picture of himself in the Garden of Gethsemane just days before he's crucified. And uh, Jesus is there and he's actually sweating drops of blood because he's so tormented knowing what he's going to be going through on the cross. Not just the physical pain and death, but the spiritual reality of taking on the sin of the world. And I, I see Jesus there and I know that he still did it. He still went to the cross. And, and took on my sin and suffered for me. And one of my favorite verses now is John nineteen thirty, where Jesus speaks his last words on the cross. He speaks the words, it is finished. And in speaking those three words, he gave me everything I need for eternity. And that's, that's salvation and forgiveness of sins. And in light of that, how could I ever need anything else in this short world? In light of the fact that I have everything I need for eternity, how... Selfish, how foolish am I to think that I need something else in this world? That I need these desires that might be here for just a few short years to be fulfilled when I have everything I need for eternity. And so that summer was just the beginning of this journey, which started almost 10 years ago. Uh, you know, and I'd always thought that, I, I, that if I just fix myself with this area of sexuality, that. Uh, if, if, if I could quit being gay, if I could just fix myself, then, then I'd finally be good. I'd be good enough for God. But really, uh, after God started doing some work in that area of my life, and I started to walk with God on a daily basis, I realized, oh, shoot, like, I have about 100 other sins in my life. And I need daily sanctification in every area of my life, not just this. And I think that that's a struggle for all of us. We see the gay and lesbian community. We define them by that one issue in their life. But they need Jesus for a hundred reasons in their life, every day, just like every one of us. I, I always have this picture of God in my head of being like this old man with a hammer and chisel. And he's given me all these defining moments over the years, uh, where usually where a Christian loved me well and spoke grace and truth into my life. He gave me all these defining moments where God got out his hammer and chisel and chiseled away a piece of the wall I built around my heart when I was 13 years old. And in every one of those moments, he took one of the lies that I believed about myself, about God, about the world, about other people, and and he traded that lie for one of his truths from his word. Uh, The journey has not been easy by any means. It's been difficult. It's been painful. Uh, There's still moments I struggle. There's still... In, in those 10 years, I've, I've had some relapses and the sin that I've had to repent of. Uh, it's been difficult and painful, but through it all, I've experienced so much more of his grace and more of life from him than I ever thought I could ever experience because life had to come from him, not from things in the world that I desired. In ending my testimony, I just want to close with this. Um, You know, this has been so painful in my life and difficult yet joyful uh, and victorious. But I, I can't do it, still can't do it on a daily basis without the people that God's provided in my life. There's people like my pastor Tyler who when I'm struggling, he reminds me of my new identity in Christ. And there's friends like my friend Wilbur from college who when I'm making bad decisions, he kind of gives me a little spiritual punch in the face to set me straight And there's guys like Clayton when I'm mourning the things and the destruction that my sin and struggle have caused my life. He sits there and cries and mourns with me. And there's friends like Jimmy who when I'm victorious over my sin through the power of the spirit he celebrates with me. It's those men that God has used in my life uh, on a daily basis to help fight this battle and walk with him. And those are the kinds of men that God's calling all of us as Christians to be. Um, so that's my story that's what God's done in my life uh, but that leads to the bigger question how do we respond as a church as individuals, as Christians how do you respond to this issue in our culture uh, that, that seems to just throwing this issue in our faces and if, if we present any type of truth uh, it seems like we're labeled as bigots and hateful and there's just so much animosity uh, um uh, in our culture then how do we respond to people in our churches who are struggling this is a big enough church that i have no doubt that there are people in this building, in this room right now, who have been deeply and painfully affected by this issue. Maybe you yourself struggle with same-sex attraction and you've been consumed with shame and guilt for years and you've never told anyone because you feel so much shame by it. Maybe you have a loved one who's gay and you think that maybe you did something wrong as a parent and uh, maybe you have friends, coworkers who are gay and you just have no idea how to respond. That's the conversation that I hope that we can start today in this church. So start of that conversation, I have kind of four challenges for you, uh, four things that I think that we can all start thinking about and praying through and seeing how can we respond to this. Here's the first one, is that we have to be safe people and create safe environments. And to do that, we have to be careful about what we say and how we say it. I was talking to a gentleman one day, guy in his 40s who had been in church his entire life and had struggled with same-sex attraction his entire life. He'd never acted on it, but it had been an internal struggle. And he was filled with so much shame and guilt that he'd never told anyone. And He'd been in the same small group Bible study of men for five years and hadn't told them. And I said, why would you not tell your main community in your life? And he said that one of the first nights that they got together five years earlier at the topic of homosexuality came up and Uh, one of the guys said, well, it's a good thing none of us struggle with that. And, you know, I have no doubt that the person who said that had no ill intentions, uh, he probably meant no harm by that, but he had no idea uh, that someone in the room right there was struggling with that issue. And that goes for every issue. We have no idea who around us is hurting and in pain and who struggles with what. So we just have to be very careful of what we say and how we say it. And uh, I, I always think that anything that we say, and how we talk about a subject, an issue, a sin issue, um, how we talk in everyday life, we have to run through the lens, am I building bridges between myself and other people, therefore hopefully between people and Jesus, or am I building barriers? And the things that I say and how I say it, are they leading people closer to Christ and helping them experience God's truth and grace, or are they hardening hearts? And I see Christians all the time saying things that are hardening hearts and even how they communicate on Facebook. I see Christians post things on Facebook all the time condemning homosexuality when they're taking in no consideration how it's affecting people who are their Facebook friends who might be struggling. And those things that they're saying are not building bridges, but they're putting up barriers and making people think, oh, well, there's just another jerk of a Christian who uh, has no love and compassion and thinks that they're all perfect. And so we have to uh, realize that um, what we say and how we say it affects people. And I think that uh, part of what I've been talking to Jonathan a lot about is part of how we build bridges with people, is even understanding uh, and defining what we're talking about. Um, And here's a great example of that. If the average person would come up to a a Christian who, a Bible-believing Christian in this church who believes in, you know, what what God says in His Word, and if, if someone would go up to that Christian and say, do you believe that being gay is a sin? Uh, the normal Christian would say, oh yes, like absolutely, because they're pointing to this verse, uh, 1 Corinthians or Romans 1, say, yep, it's a sin. Well, but we have to, sometimes that person's talking about a completely different thing. Usually when we talk about being gay, we're thinking about behavior, acting out on it. But in our culture today, uh, um, it's so much of an identity issue, not a behavior issue. So the person who says that I'm gay, they, they might not have ever acted out in a sexual way. They might have never been in a relationship. They may have never had a sexual encounter, but they identify as gay because they have same-sex attraction, and society tells them that that's who they are. And so sometimes we're talking about completely different things, and we have to learn to uh, define what we're talking about to depending on who we're talking to. Uh, for most people, Christians, they ask if I identify as gay because I still struggle with same-sex attraction sometimes. I say, absolutely not. That's not my identity, and I don't believe it's healthy to define ourselves as that. And I would never use that, that word to label myself. But if it's a homosexual uh, 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 person in the LGBT community coming up to me and asking me if I'm gay, I'm like, oh, yes, I am Uh, But because of my biblical beliefs and my uh, convictions, I choose not to act on it. Because to them, being gay means that I'm attracted to members of the same sex. And so I have to use language that they understand that is is defined in the same way that they use it. And sometimes that's differing based on who we're talking to. And so if we're going to Uh, create safe environments and create uh, environments where people can be safe and where they can talk and where we can engage with them well. We have to understand where they're coming from, what words they're using, and we have to build bridges and not barriers by by how we talk. Here's number two, is have the right expectations. Um, And this is a tough one, and this is a tough one I think that churches need to have ongoing conversations about. But that's the expectation that people don't change just overnight. I, I, I've heard a few cases of people where they give their life to Christ and this issue completely goes away. and I don't, that, that, But that's usually not the case. There's usually an ongoing battle in people's life. And so I feel like this is the one issue in which the church sometimes uh, has this gate and they only open the gate to people unless they instantly are completely changed. But that's usually not how sanctification works. Usually sanctification, well, sanctification always lasts a lifetime. And many times with this issue, it lasts a long time. And people need community. They need discipleship. They need a place where uh, they can grow to come to a place eventually where uh, they come to a place of repentance with this. It's so much more than just... um, behavior It's so much identity. And that identity feels like it just goes to the core of who you are. So I've seen as people grow in their relationship with Christ, many times this one, of the last issues in their life, uh, that they really surrender to the Lord because it's the issue that it feels like it's the deepest. And so we have to give them time and place and places and have realistic expectations that they're not going to be completely changed overnight, but that, um, Uh, it's going to be sometimes a lifetime struggle and we have to have rooms in our lives, in our homes, in our small groups, in our churches to walk people through that process. Um, I think that uh, as part of uh, having the right expectations and walking people through that process, um, we can also talk about and be aware of just the gravity of what we're asking people to do so many times for people in the LGBT community, uh, their, their life as a gay person, their social networks, their love and support all comes from that area of their life. It all comes from that community. So we're not only asking people to you know, stop a behavior like other sins, like, oh, stop stealing or stop doing this. We're asking people to walk away from many times their community, the people who care about them, people who have loved them well, uh, and people who support them. We're asking them to walk away from an identity that just feels like this is who I am. And that's messy and that's complicated and it's difficult and it's painful. Uh, A couple of years ago when I was speaking to a group of college students in California, like I used to do every summer. I had one student who met with me afterwards, a JP. We're now really good friends. And uh, I, I assumed that he was struggling with same sex attraction. and But instead, he, he wasn't. But he was raised by two women who are now married. Both of them, gr- he grew up with both of them as being their, his moms. And now he's, JP's a Christian and had a biblical understanding of homosexuality. But he said, This is so extremely terrifying for me because I want my mom's come to a place of repentance. But for that to happen, it would be like my parents getting a divorce and my family being ripped apart. So I hope that you guys can see from that that this is not a simple issue. I hope that you can feel the weight of how hard this issue is, how complex this issue is. I hope you can feel the weight of what pain sometimes repentance is yes there's great joy and it is all worth it for the sake of christ but it can be painful and difficult and complicated for on so many levels i hope that you guys can feel the weight of that and have compassion for people for the the pain and difficulty that sometimes comes with the repentance with this issue here's the third challenge we have to practice what we preach uh and so here's what I mean by that. Um, we live in a society that is just messed up on so many levels. And it's, sometimes it's hard for me to even tell the, the LGBT community when I'm able to have a good, loving conversation with them. It's sometimes even harder for me to tell them that what they're doing is sin and they need to repent. Because the exact same idolatry and sin that's in their relationship is also the foundation of so many heterosexual relationships. Not only outside the church, but inside the church. Part of the problem uh, in our culture is not that uh, homosexuals have ruined marriage. Part of the problem is that heterosexuals have ruined marriage over the last 50 years. And we've turned marriage and relationships into something that's all about us, that's all about being married to the person who will make you happy and who you're the most sexually attracted to. And guess what? That's no different than what the homosexuals have asked and want to do is being married to the person who they're the most attracted to and who'll make them happy. And we cannot expect them to repent unless we look at our own lives and we show them that marriage and relationships is about something so much better. It's about dying to yourself to love Another person. It's about dying to yourself to love your spouse for the sake of the gospel, not to fulfill things inside of you, not to be happy, not to have all this just sexual fulfillment. And those are great things that God designed that when marriage is done right, you will have. But marriage is supposed to be about dying to yourself, not just being with a person who will make you happy. Um, we see all the time, I, I see people talking about when, when they see a, Gay or lesbian couple that has a child, I, I see Christians act with so much condemnation because they say God intended every child to have a a, a a a mom and a dad, not two moms. And which I agree, I agree with that. God designed marriage be within a man and a woman. And if there wasn't sin, that's the way every family would be. But how many of how many families, even inside the church, and hetero, with heterosexual families, because of so many divorces and Uh, uh, remarriages and children born out of wedlock Uh, kids have a mom and a stepmom, they have a dad and a stepdad well, God didn't design them to have two moms or two dads, but we as heterosexuals have created a culture where that's the reality all the time. That's in no way a combination of people who are living in those circumstances. It's just a matter of saying we can't point it out in them if we're willing to accept it in ourselves, that, that we're also creating families that are not how God intended, and we need to raise our standard before we expect them to raise theirs um one one last thing with that Uh, i i see all the time in our culture now there's this new hashtag uh, that surfaced the last couple years if you're twitter facebook this hashtag called same love uh, hashtag you know hashtag same love and it's used by the lgbt community to say that our love is the same as as heterosexuals and most christians would argue with them on that but unfortunately so many times it's true their love is the same they're turning to a person to fulfill these inner desires and to be happy. And that's the same, my, the same love and the same idolatry and the same brokenness that is uh, the foundation of so many heterosexual relationships and marriages that uh, sometimes we need to repent of. And I think that in, in heterosexuality and inside the church, we don't often see it. That we can use uh, relationships and marriage to feed ourselves, to feed our souls in ways that it was never intended uh, it's just easier to cover up because we know that marriage was designed for a man and woman. So we can go our entire life misusing sexuality in marriage. And uh, it, it's just easier for, to cover it up. Whereas those two people over there who are the same gender, it's not as easy to cover up. Uh, but we need to be just as real about that dysfunction and uh, idolatry in our own lives. Here's my last challenge for you before I, I, I close up it's this just enter the mess. Guys, ministry, being a Christian, it's messy, it's difficult. People's lives are messy. There's two easy roads that we can go down in dealing with, with this issue or any others. One is that of legalism, where you just cast stones and close the doors to people who are living in sin. Another side is just uh, where our society who says today is like, oh, love everyone, and it's okay, uh, like love is love, and it's not our place to judge. That's also the easy road. The the hard road is that in the middle where you're uh, showing people compassion and love, but also calling them to something greater, calling them to a life that's completely fulfilled by Christ and not by things or people of this world. And that's messy and it's difficult. And uh, I, because it means actually engaging in people's hurt and pain and walking them through difficult things. One day I was talking to a lady. And she said, yeah, I have these two lesbian neighbors that I really should reach out to, but that sin is just too yucky for me. And I I, I told her two things. Um, I told her, one, go home and look yourself in the mirror and realize that Jesus had to hang on the same cross for your sins as he did for your lesbian neighbors. And you are no more deserving of God's grace than these two women who live next door. And the second thing is go to Athens, or Acts 17, where Paul goes to Athens, and we can say he sees a city that's full of idolatry, which included homosexuality, But he was actually physically sickened by their idolatry. But did he say, that sin, that issue in this culture is just too messy for me, so I'm going to retreat from it? No, he went into the city. he, He learned their language. He loved them, and he proclaimed truth with them because his discomfort was worth it for the sake of the gospel. And so if we're going to make disciples, if we're going to apply the gospel to people's lives, we have to enter into the messiness of people's lives and proclaim the hope and the grace that, that they're not worthy of, but we weren't either. But Christ died for it, for us and for them, no matter what that sin is. Uh, let me just close this in prayer, and then uh, I'll turn it back over to Jonathan. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this time. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the leadership who's willing to address the elephant in the room. Lord, I pray for every individual here, Lord, that they got a glimpse of your grace and how it's played out in my life. And I, I pray that that grace changes them and it changes the people around them. I pray that this can be a church that doesn't shy away from difficult issues, but that the people here can make room in their their lives, in their homes, in their small groups, in their church, for messy people, for broken people, people who are still in the process, people who haven't yet fully realized the extent of your grace. I pray that they can love them well while calling them to something greater, that they can be empowered by grace uh, to to live a different life. pray these things in your name. Amen.